Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Evidence of a good music and worship team is when they make it easy to enter into the presence of the Lord. And that is what we have done here tonight. Amen. I want to thank, this is the last night of this short episode DNA series. And uh, I want to say just a big thank you that uh, Pastor Brahm and, and uh, Brother TJ just did a phenomenal job. Excellent. Just tremendous, 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 and uh, what a blessing that is for us as a congregation. And uh, I know I don't know if Pastor Brom mentioned it. I know Brother TJ mentioned having lots of scripture, and uh, we have a lot of scripture tonight as well. And I guess what I have to say about that is, is if you can teach your doctrinal beliefs without a lot of Bible, something's wrong. <laughs> Something is wrong, and uh, so I do appreciate that. Amen. Why don't you find three people, give them a high five or shake their hand, tell them you love them. Amen. Tonight we're going to be looking at the apostolic foundational principles of the Holy Spirit and its activity in Scripture and in our lives and the idea, the biblical idea of separation from the world and holiness. Now, I'm doing all of that in one message, so that's not uh, the exhaustive uh, statement of these things. But I want to kind of take this unique perspective of these two categories to help us maybe just see, uh, and perhaps even slightly different, our viewpoint on what this means. The, there are different names given to the Holy Ghost in the Bible, different terminology used to reference. We find the phrase Holy Ghost 90 times. All of them are in the New Testament in 16 different books, and 41 of them are in the book of Acts. We find the words Holy Spirit used seven times in the Old Testament and the New Testament in five different books of the Bible. We find an instance where the writer John uses the word comforter, and not nearly just descriptive, but also speaking of the spirit, the comforter, four times, all three are in the chapters written by John. The spirit of truth, the Bible uses four times in two different books, and the spirit of God is used 26 times 
in 12 books, seven in the Old Testament, and five of them in the New. The Spirit of God is how we are first introduced to God. It is in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Somebody say the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now there is much to glean from this introductory wording of our Bible. First, there is no confusion about creation. God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody say amen. Thank you for saying amen loud, then I can just move on, we all agree. God created the heaven and the earth. But it doesn't just say that God created the heaven or the earth. In fact, it does not say that God moved upon the face of the waters. It specifically chooses to say that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, he's just said that God created why would he not say that God moved upon the face of the waters? It is very evident to us as we begin to dive into what is important to God and what he is trying to teach us from the very beginning, that he says the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Immediately, God is making something very clear. And John chapter 4 and verse 24 tells it to us. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. He's trying to get the point across immediately in Genesis that he is a spirit, that he is a life and power and movement. Why is that important that God would want to drive home this case? The answer is found in one of the things that angers God the most. Idolatry. One of the things that he abhors and hates the most is idolatry. When Moses came down off of the mountain after being with God for 40 days, he had the Ten Commandments in his hands. He finds the people worshiping an idol. They had already given up on the God of their miraculous deliverance. And the tablets that lay broken at their feet started out like this. In Exodus chapter 20, 2 and 6, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make upon, unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Uh, he begins, and Moses could piece back together those broken tablets, and you would see that there is no other God before me and no graven images. No other God before me and no idols. God's nature detested the very idea of idols and idolatry. They were a cursed thing that would curse anything that interacted with them. 
In Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, we find the graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. What could idols, amen, manufactured graven images not do? Move. They couldn't move. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. They couldn't act. They couldn't respond. They could not move. They had no life. They had no breath. They had no power of any kind. And God wants you and I to know in the first few verses of the Bible that he is not man-made, but that he is spirit. That word spirit means wind. It means breath. And it means life. The spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And when he said, let there be, there was. Why? Because he's God. Because he's spirit because he can move because he can speak because he can see and hear and do oh hallelujah it angers him that any of his creation would choose a God of their own hands instead of the God that gave them physical life and offers them a way to eternal life It's not just because he is a jealous God, though he is. And Exodus 20 tells us he is a jealous God. But that that means that he expects full devotion. It means that he expects full devotion. And he will not share us with idols. He will not share our worship He will not share our praise. He will not share our songs. He will not share our kneeling down or our rising up. He will not share our coming or our going or when we lay our head down or when we rise up in the morning. He will not share, hallelujah, us with idols because idols are nothing. They're detestable. They're cursed and they can do nothing for you. It's not just that he's jealous. It's that he knows that man-made idols can do nothing for you. For us, and he loves us too much. He loves us too much. The Spirit of God was alive and interacting with humanity very soon in Scripture. And that's what we need to understand about the Spirit of God. It moves, it moves, it's active, it's interactive. Pharaoh said of Joseph, after Joseph interpreted his dream and then had a wise plan for how to deal with the famine that was coming. In Genesis 41, and Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. It was clear to Pharaoh, who, by the way, was considered a god by Egyptians. 
It was clear to Pharaoh that there was a real God that was working through Joseph. It was clear to this man-made, if you will, or man-established God of Pharaoh that there indeed was a real God and he was not it. That there indeed was a real God who could see the very dreams that Pharaoh had when he went to sleep at night. And there was indeed a very real God who could move upon a young Joseph and allow him to interpret them dreams. And there was a very real God who could move upon and in and through Joseph to give him wisdom and ability to know how to handle a famine that was coming that would literally save the world of their area as they know it. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, there indeed is a spirit of God moving, working, acting, helping, encouraging, strengthening. Moses comes upon a burning bush, right? In Exodus 3, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And he says unto him, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, draw not nigh hither, but off, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Everybody say holy. The, hand, the ground is holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Spirit of God could not be seen but for the burning bush. You could not see the Spirit of God. The only way Moses knew that something was there was that the bush was on fire and not consumed. And when he draw near unto the fire, he heard the voice of God. And the Spirit of God was in that place. And we will remember that the presence of God made the place holy. God had a plan for the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. And he told the plan to Moses. But then he says to Moses in Exodus chapter 31, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in cutting of stones to set them, and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. I don't know how many times that you have talked about Bezalel, but the Bible tells us that God told Moses that I have put my spirit upon Bezalel. That my spirit is upon him and active in him. And I've given him through the presence of my spirit the ability to work, to have the wisdom necessary, the craftsmanship necessary, the workmanship necessary to pull off and to create the vision by which God had spoken to Moses. There was a man who had the Spirit of God moving and active and present and working and helping and strengthening. The Spirit of God was moving upon people to empower them for the work 
giving them unbelievable ability to fulfill the tasks of God. We know God interacted with Moses, but here he interacts with others as well. Of course, they also had the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud leading them through the wilderness. And the Spirit of God, unseen. The Spirit of God, not seeable with eyes, is, however, known in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. Not just known as a presence, but also a voice and also a leading and a directing and a protecting as it protected them when Pharaoh was coming upon their back and it stood between them for a while between Israel and the Egyptians as it led them through the wilderness by day and by night and overshadowed them and did all of those things for them. It wasn't just fire. It wasn't just cloud. It was the representation of the spirit of the almighty God in their presence to help them, to move upon them, to strengthen them and to encourage them this is what God has always done God is a spirit and he moves and he moves around and he moves in and through his people he is a spirit and he moves and he lives and he breathes in the New Testament God simply chooses to do it in a new way the angel of the Lord is sent to Mary, a young woman still a virgin, to declare that she will birth a son and to call his name Jesus and that his kingdom will have no end. In Luke 1, it tells us, And Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The Spirit of God shall come upon thee. The Spirit of the Lord shall come upon thee. Hallelujah. And you are going to know it. The Spirit of God here called the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and overshadow thee, the Holy Ghost creating new life inside of her, breathing, moving, acting, giving wisdom, guidance, and direction, answering her questions and empowering her to the task to do what is necessary and called of her to do. Simple humanity, yes, but now given special providence of God because the Holy Ghost, because the Spirit of God has come upon her. And now she could do what, what, what could even ask of a young woman to do, but now she is equal to the task, not because somehow she has the right lineage, not because somehow she's just special beyond everyone else, not because she has life experience that has prepared her for this moment. No, the only thing that makes Mary eligible for the task is that the Spirit of God came upon her. When the Spirit of God came upon her, new life was born inside of her. And it was holy. And it was holy. Somebody say it was holy. Jesus is born, and we know the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. 
But when he is ready to begin his ministry, we find his baptism in Luke chapter 3. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens opened up. This hadn't happened with anyone else. There was a lot of people getting baptized, but this hadn't happened. The heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. When he's standing in the waters of baptism, the heavens open, and the Holy Ghost comes upon him. Now I won't, I will resist the urge to get into the oneness of God because they've already done that so wonderfully. And Brother TJ did an excellent job with some of that last week. But I want you to notice the activity Notice the activity of the Holy Spirit. Notice the activity of the Holy Ghost. Notice the activity of the Spirit of God in this moment. It was necessary that even though Jesus was God in flesh, born of a virgin, even though that's already been determined and now here he is much later in life and all of that is already established, it's necessary that the people, including Jesus himself, see and hear the activity of the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Including the man Christ Jesus needed to hear the activity of the Spirit, needed to feel the activity of the Spirit, needed to see the activity of the Spirit. You remember Brother TJ's water bottle illustration with Eagle Lake and, and that from last week in the presence of the Holy Ghost is coming upon Jesus. And then we find in Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All of it is in him. But it's necessary for him and everyone else that's there that day to see and feel and hear that the Spirit of God is not just this man in the water and it's not just this dove, but there's a voice from heaven as well. There is a spirit that I cannot see and a spirit that I cannot touch and yet it's alive and interactive and powerful and it leads and it guides and it directs. It teaches Spirit of the Almighty God. Why is it important that we know that all of God was complete in Christ? Why is that important? Because the next verse after Colossians 2 and 9 says, And ye are complete in Him. It's necessary. It's necessary for me to understand here to the church of Colossia. It's necessary for these church people, these Holy Ghost-filled church people to understand that the moving of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the activity of the Spirit is an important thing, but it's not just something that happens with God. It's not just something that happened in the man, Christ Jesus, but it's something that happens and must happen in me too because if I'm going to be complete, I can only be complete in Him, and I can't be complete without the Spirit. i got to have the spirit of the almighty God moving and living and breathing and active in me he says which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism we're connected to his baptism we're connected to his baptism 
Oh, hallelujah. Not just the physical act of the water, but we're connected to him in his baptism with the, uh, the eyes of heaven upon us. We're connected to him in baptism with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Coming to begin to interact in our lives. We're connected to him in his baptism because it's not just about immersion, although that's powerful. But a little while later, we're going to read that we must be born again of the water and of the spirit, that we must be baptized by the water and of the spirit. I must be connected to his baptism fully and completely. I need the spirit. I got to have the spirit of God. Oh, yes. Yeah, flesh by circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, if this same spirit that be in Christ be also in you. We can raise up. We can raise up even out of the grave if that same spirit that was in Christ be also in me. I can't do that without the spirit. It doesn't work without the spirit. Raised from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. Oh, thank you Jesus for that. And having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Oh, hallelujah. The spirit of God is... is Conquering. The Spirit of God is fighting my battles. The Spirit of God is taking away, oh hallelujah, it's taking away that which is against me. It's moving my enemy out of my way. It's making a show of them openly. It's nailing stuff to the cross that should have sent me to hell. But the Spirit of God is moving and active and breathing and alive and it is for me. It wants the best. He wants, my God wants the best for me and his spirit is always moving and acting for that outcome that is righteous and according to his will to work so we must also have this living God moving upon us like he moved upon the waters we need the spirit to raise us and quicken us and forgive us and cause us to triumph I can't have any of that without the spirit which is so exactly why we're so very excited when we get to the book of Acts in chapter 1 and 4 and 5 and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. It means to make whelmed, to engulf, to submerge completely. It is the same word as used with water baptism, only it is applied to spirit baptism. It is not negating water baptism. We already have mentioned it. We'll mention it in a second. It's not negating water baptism. But what I want you to understand is the activity of it. Uh, I want you to see the movement of it. Uh, he says, you know how you were water baptized? Uh, you know how you went down completely and you were submerged totally and it, fe it affected you uh, on the inside and the out? Uh, oh, I was so excited the other night when Wednesday when we baptized Amy and I got to hear it again. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, you'll pardon me if after 
we baptize someone uh, if I kind of want to be the first one to get to them uh, when they come walking out of the changing room or whatever because I want to hear it. Uh, amen. Uh, I just feel light. Uh, I just feel cleansed. Uh, I just feel like I could float out of the room. Uh, I just feel like something. Uh, I feel hope for the first time. Uh, yeah. You remember how you felt uh, when water baptism uh, completely submerged and engulfed uh, and affected every part of your being? He says that's the same thing. You have to be baptized with the Spirit of God as well. And when you're baptized, hallelujah, with the Spirit of the Almighty God, it's not just going to affect your tongue. It's not just going to affect your stammering lips, but it's going to affect all of your very being. Oh, hallelujah. It's going to affect everything. From the inside to the outside. It's going to affect because the Spirit of God moves it moves. <laughs> it moves. It's active. It's active. It's strengthening and encouraging and uplifting, leading and guiding and directing. Oh, God forbid, God forbid we would ever get to some sort of shallow into the pool uh, uh, lifestyle of the Spirit where we only speak in tongues uh, once in a great while standing around a service uh, where we have to have some sort of rock and roll in service where God literally just overcomes us and knocks us on our face uh, before we'll speak in tongues. Uh, oh, God forbid, I need the Spirit active in my life every day. I need the Spirit of God active and moving upon me every single day. And I'm, just so I can be very clear, I am not saying that the only time the Spirit of God is active in you is when you are speaking of the other tongues. But you need to be connected to the Spirit and flowing in the Spirit and operating in the Spirit. You may not speak in tongues all day long, but you need to be walking in the Spirit all day long. And when you walk into a room, devils should run out the back door. And when you show up at work, joy should come into place and peace should come into place. Oh, hallelujah. There ought to be help that comes in when somebody's in pain they ought to look at you and say you got something that I need would you pray with me and we're going to call upon the name of Jesus and we're going to believe that the spirit of God is going to move he's going to move and he's going to come in whether I'm standing in the aisle at a grocery store or sitting by someone at work or standing by a fence in the backyard or standing right here in this altar that the spirit of God moves it's interactive, it's powerful, it's alive, it sees, it hears, it knows. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days from hence. And when Jesus explained to Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, who was beyond curious about this Jesus, he says in John 3 and 5, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot. He cannot. He cannot. The God that says, I make all things possible. The God that says, you can do all things through me. That nothing shall be impossible to you. That God says, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God without the Spirit. The point that Jesus is making, or shall I say one point that Jesus is making, he says in the next verse, 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It can only be flesh. It knows not how to be anything but flesh. He's not, he's not even necessarily speaking here about horrendous sin. He's just saying flesh can only do so much. Flesh can only do so much. And that which is born of flesh, he says, is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You need to be born again of the spirit of God is what he's saying. The spirit will bring forth brand new life. And it starts from within. And it brings forth new. And it directs. And it guides and it speaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We interact with the Spirit. Jesus said, I have to go away. I must go away. But we don't want you to go away. We want to interact with you. We want to interact with you. We want to be with you. But Jesus says, I must go away because the Father, oh, hallelujah. He's going to send the comforter in my name, Spirit. I know you don't want me to leave, Jesus says, but if I stay, you're actually going to be missing out. Think about it. Think about it. I know you don't, I know you don't want me to leave, but what I, my time has been fulfilled. My reason is done. They don't understand. They don't understand what he's talking about when you're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He's telling them a vision of revival that was going to grow so fast and wide that they weren't going to be able to keep routinely making trips back to Jesus like they did when they sent him, he sent them out two by two. And they came back and said, the devils even respond when we pray and people are healed and miracles are happening. Jesus, let us tell you, let us tell you what we saw. Let me, we want to tell you what we heard. And Jesus said, this is wonderful. And I know you like this. And I know this sounds like a good way to do this. But my vision for reaching the world is a whole lot bigger than me just sending you out and then you coming back to me and me sending you out and then you coming back to me. I got to go away. But if I go away, I'm going to send. Hallelujah. The Spirit is going to come. And when the Spirit comes, it's going to take over the world and nothing's going to be able to stop it and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God when it is filled with his spirit oh hallelujah oh hallelujah and what Jesus promised came to pass at Pentecost and just because we love it so much Acts 2 and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there comes a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wind! Wind! Like the definition of spirit, 
wind, breath, life. Fire, like what the Israelites had in the wilderness and Moses had in the bush. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, showing the activity that God is alive and active and present and not just around them, but in them, present. The Spirit was present. It was there in their midst. They felt it. They heard it. They saw it. They experienced it. It overwhelmed them. It empowered them. It encouraged them. It was present with them. This, my brothers and sisters, is why so much of the American Christian church is dying because they've given up on the spirit of the almighty God and they've given up then on the reality that there is a God that is present and here and in the moment and moving in our midst. And when you give up on that kind of God, you might as well throw everything else out the window. But I'm glad to be an apostolic Pentecostal that in my very DNA, hallelujah, I've got an understanding that my God is alive and well and strong and present and here right now. He could fill you right now. He could overcome you right now. He could heal you right now and deliver you right now. Why? Because he's God and he's moving and he's in our midst and he's here. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they might not be able to preach it, and they might not be able to declare it, and they might not understand it, but that's because it's not in their DNA. But when you're blood-bought, when the blood washed over me, hallelujah, in forgiveness, and when the blood, hallelujah, remitted the sins and baptism, when the blood is applied, hallelujah, it changes something. When the old man dies, the new man steps forward, hallelujah, but the new man's got a different DNA. The new man's got a brain that's been transformed, the renewing of the mind. I'm not just conformed, I've been transformed hallelujah by the renewing of my mind and I got a new DNA and in my blood and that's why I'm not afraid and you're not afraid to say I must be born again of the water and of the spirit it may not be what they want to hear it may not be what they want to believe but it's in the DNA of every apostolic Pentecostal you can't get anywhere without the spirit Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Ah. With this eternity changing experience comes further understanding. Everybody with me? Nearly 100 of the times that the Spirit of God is mentioned in Scripture. It is prefaced with a descriptive word. Yea, more than that, a fundamental character of God, holy. Nearly 100 times that you find the word spirit in all of your Bible, it is prefaced with holy. It is impossible, hear your pastor tonight, 
It is impossible to remove holiness from the Spirit or from the activity of the Spirit. You can do nothing in the Spirit without holy. The Spirit does not exist without holy. Never has. Never will. And no activity of the Spirit will ever be done in anything less than holy. Oh, hallelujah. The Spirit of God is always holy. And I want you to hear me now. Listen closely. The Spirit of God is always making whatever it touches holy. If the version of the Bible that you are reading this year has you walking through from the beginning to the end, then recently you've been reading a lot of verses about holy things. Recently you've been reading a lot of verses about things that start out as just wood. They start out, they have to be worked on, they have to be built. They have to be crafted. All of the things of the tabernacle. All of the furniture in the tabernacle. But do you remember what I said? They were not crafted by just anyone. They were crafted by someone who had the Spirit of God on them. Oh, hallelujah. He didn't even wait until they were made to make them holy. He said, I want somebody who already has my spirit upon them to be the one who puts their hands on them, who uses the tools on them, who does the craftsmanship on them because these things are going to be holy unto me. They're going to be consecrated unto me. They're going to be set apart and dedicated unto me and they're going to be used in the holy place and the work of the holy tabernacle where the presence of God is. And so before they're even built, there's got to be a spirit of God that is upon the person who is crafting them and and when, even when they are built, then God says, now I, I need you to do this to them. And I need you to do that to them. And I need you to do this and put the blood on this and pray over this and offer this sacrifice for that. Why? Because it needs to be made holy. It's not coming in to my tabernacle unless it's holy. Nothing comes into my presence unless it's holy. And so it's got to be holy from the beginning. It's got to be holy in its use. And it's got to remain holy. Maybe you've read recently about a two a two men who thought that they could do something with God's holy fire that they were not supposed to do with God's holy fire and it ended up damning them for eternity because they tried to touch God's holy things in an unholy way. You cannot mess with the holiness of God. You cannot separate spirit from holy. And I, It's not my intent to bash and I will not mention specifics as I did not mention specifics earlier but we live in a day and age where people are enticed and they are uh, in awe of the work of the Holy Spirit and they are trying desperately to mimic and do the things of the Holy Spirit in their churches and it is causing them pain and it is causing disruption and it is having the opposite effect of what they thought it was going to have because people are trying to do things in the Spirit without hope Holiness. Without a recognition 
that it is the Holy Spirit and the holy things of God. It is impossible to remove it. In Exodus 3, the native bush in the sand of the desert was literally made holy when God came into the place. And God says to Moses, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Just a conversation in a bush that existed before and after on sand that's probably still somewhere in that area. It became holy when God used it. When he touches and interacts with things. Mm. Holy is found 611 times in 544 times in 50 books of the Bible. That alone screams to us that it matters. But I found it very interesting that the majority of those 611 times are found in a few strategic places of Scripture. First of all, when God is establishing his people, the Israelite people, and he's trying to show them how to live. He's trying to show them how to worship. He's trying to show them how to interact with him. And he's trying to teach them how to be a people of God when he's doing that in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you find the word holy 178 times. But second of all, when Israel is struggling to live righteously and they are sinning before God and they are going after idolatry and they are falling prey to the pull of the sinful worlds and environments and cultures around them and God is looking at these people that he, he created and he blessed and he delivered from Egypt and here they are struggling to make it and they're struggling with sin and they're struggling with how to live in a world of sin in that period of time he uses the prophet Isaiah and he uses the prophet Ezekiel and he uses the word holy 56 times in Isaiah and 49 times in Ezekiel. It's the first two times in the Bible where you find the majority of the times the word holy is used. And then the last time when you see a large number is in the book of Acts when the church is being established. When the church is being created, formed, the church that he created to reach the world. The church that he said is going to have to go into the highways and the byways and it's going to have to go in to the dark places. The church that's going to have to march out and interact even in a sinful, dark world in the book of Acts, the word holy is used 52 times. Holy. It means sacred. It means consecrated. It means dedicated. And it is impossible to be holy without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. 
holiness is God. It would be foolish to think that I could achieve something and be something without God. That is God. He is holy. And I cannot be holy without the Holy Ghost. I mentioned earlier that we have been transformed, not conformed. The thing that hurts churches, even apostolic churches, is when they try to conform people to God without the Holy Ghost. When you try to conform someone to the things of God, you try to conform someone to be like God. You try to conform someone to be apostolic in the way that they live, in the way that they act, and the things that they wear, and the things they listen to, and the places they go. Without the Holy Ghost, all you can do is try to conform them. And conforming people without the Holy Ghost has always and will always lead to destruction. And it will not help them. And it may destroy them. But if you can get them connected to the Spirit of the Almighty God, when the Spirit of God comes upon them, they can be transformed. Oh, hallelujah. It is impossible to deny the work of holiness. Hear me now. To deny the work of holiness if you abide in the Holy Ghost. If you get the Holy Ghost and you abide in the Holy Ghost, holiness is just going to happen. You can't be around him without wanting to be more like him. He says, taste and see that I am good. Oh, hallelujah. He's not worried. You see, sometimes we can get ourselves out of our lane a little bit. And we can get all worried about people's holiness. Listen, God's not worried about people's holiness if they got the Holy Ghost. Because if they got the Holy Ghost, he's literally inside of them. <laughs> and if they're abiding in him, they're going to be holy. And they're going to be more holy and more holy and more holy and more holy and more holy. Oh, hallelujah. We don't need to worry about conforming the world to holiness. We need to be focused on getting people connected to the spirit of the almighty God. The Bible tells us to separate ourselves from the sins of the world. And that when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we become the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians 6. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Notice, that doesn't apply to anyone if they don't have the Holy Ghost. But if they do have the Holy Ghost, then he says, don't you understand that your body is the temple of God? 
that the Holy Ghost is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. The Holy Spirit in us connects us to God like nothing else. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says this, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Oh, hallelujah. One spirit. Oh, I become the bottle with Eagle Lake in it. <laughs> Amen. I become, yes, the bottle doesn't hold all of the lake. But if you study the contents of the water in the bottle, it will match the contents that are in the lake. And when I am joined together with the Lord, I am filled with the Holy Ghost. And when I am filled with the Holy Ghost, I become one spirit with him. Meaning that if you'll test my spirit, it's going to test out just like his spirit does. If you're going to look inside of me, you're just going to see him. Because we are filled with the Holy Ghost and we become one spirit. just in case anyone wants to get off in some weirdness and think that that makes us all gods, we will remember that he says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So no, we are not gods. We are not demigods. We're saved and sanctified by the blood and the spirit. And the holiness of God begins to sanctify and work on us. Therefore, we are sacred. And the process of consecration and dedication begins to move upon us when we are filled with the Spirit of God because it moves. It doesn't just move in and then go to sleep. It moves in and goes to work. Oh, I love when new people get the Holy Ghost. When new people get the Holy Ghost, they start asking questions they weren't asking before. Oh, hallelujah. You can always tell the difference. And I'm not saying, I'm not dogging the other, but you can always tell the difference between someone who's asking biblical questions, amen, because they've been reading and studying, but they don't have the Holy Ghost, and people who get the Holy Ghost, and then they begin to read and study. The questions change. Because he begins to show them, and the spirit of truth begins to lead them into all truth. Oh, hallelujah, they begin to hunger and thirst for more of God. And the holiness of God begins to go to work inside of them. And the consecration and the dedication begins. And we learn, somebody say we learn. We learn from the Spirit to become more like the Lord, John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall what? Teach. Shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. I got a horrible memory. Horrible memory. We were just talking about this this morning with somebody. I don't remember who. Brother Kitty, that really wasn't a joke. I'm here all night. It's... We were talking about it. Chris, I think you were there. Now it's all coming back to me now. 
Brother Kenny and Brother Chris. Somebody, I might have been Brother Chris, said something about reading, reading the Bible. Brother Chris is a great example of what happens when someone gets the Holy Ghost. The things they begin to look and think and the questions they begin to ask. He's talking about reading the Bible and, and this, and then he kind of ended it by saying, if I can remember it. And I laughed and I said, here's the good news about that. God says he'll help us with that. Now, he might not help you. When you're at the grocery store, getting that thing your wife sent you to get, and you've been there for 20 minutes, and you don't remember what you're supposed to get, I mean, you could pray and see. <laughs> but there's something about when I have the spirit of the almighty God. And I find myself in a situation, in a conversation, and all of a sudden, these things that I've read and I've studied, but I didn't think I remembered, they just kind of start popping into my brain, and I find myself being able to vocalize things. And sometimes I find myself vocalizing, and you've been there too. You find yourself vocalizing stuff and saying stuff and answering questions in the back of your mind and thinking, man, that sounds good. That's, I answered that very well. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you do that and you're reaching to pat yourself on the back, just raise your hands instead and give God some glory because the Holy Ghost is a teacher and he's there to teach us and lead us and guide us. Why? Because the Spirit of God is always moving and he's moving in me and around me and through me. He moves through my mouth and he moves in my mind because he's alive. He's alive and he's teaching me. And what does it begin to teach us, though? What does it begin to teach us when we get filled with the Holy Ghost? And I promise you I'm coming to a close. In fact, come on. 2 Corinthians 6. In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? You see it? You see it? What does the teacher, what does the Holy Spirit inside of me, what does it begin to teach me? He says, let me tell you something. You don't have any agreement with idols. You do not join yourself to idolatry. You abhor it. You hate it. It's a cursed thing. It'll curse people that get themselves involved in it. What agreement had the temple of God with idols? You and I are the temple of God. Because why? Because we're filled with the Spirit of God. And if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, it begins to teach me. And it teaches me that I have nothing to do with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So wherefore, he says, come on out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. Come on out. Come on out from the ways of your past. Come on out from the culture that surrounds you. Come on out from the darkness of this sinful world. Come out from among them. Separate, separate the Spirit of God. When I get filled with the Spirit of God, He begins to work on me. And I, the holiness of God begins to call me out. It turns me from darkness to light. And it begins to help me to learn how to leave some things in the past uh, and to get rid of some junk in my life uh, and throw out some idolatrous stuff in my spirit. And he begins to call me. He calls me. And as he calls me, the holiness of God separates me. 
find myself in a new place. With a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, and a new way of speaking, and a new way of believing. You're the temple of the living God. Come out from among them and be separate, say the Lord and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We are reborn. It's the gospel. The spirit of the Almighty births itself inside of us and brings forth new life empowered and strengthened full of wisdom able to do the work that is necessary to build the life that God has for us to build I become a workman who is worthy and now I can craft a life that is blessed of God and ordained of God and directed of God 1 Peter 1, wherefore gird up your loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Don't fashion, don't make, don't manufacture, don't create some new thing in your life that looks like the old thing in your life. But as he which hath called you is holy, the one who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, which speaks what that word means in all manner of life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I fully aware that a person is not filled with the Holy Ghost and just overnight they are just completely transformed into the image of the indestructible, immutable one. I'm fully aware of that. But I am also fully aware that when I am filled with the Holy Ghost the Holy God begins to work on me separate me and teach me and he looks at me and he says because I have called you God says because I have called you and because I am holy then you you should be holy too be ye holy be ye holy is not simply just a command be holy is God not just saying you should be holy. It's not God waving his finger and saying be holy, be holy, be holy. It's the Spirit of God teaching us become holy. Learn holiness. Grow in your understanding of what it means to be holy. Be ye holy. Stand with me if you will, please. I would like everyone that would to gather around the altar. I'm not necessarily looking for a long altar response tonight, although I do believe God wants to speak 
very specifically to us. And I would like everyone that would to come. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.